to Sam and to Kristen and the team as they help you navigate what is clearly the most challenging period of our lives, unless you went through the Second World War, and I know some of you did that. But for most of us, what we've just been through, what we're going through, is the toughest thing we've ever had to experience. And uh, it's in these moments where churches have sometimes, and many churches across every church is, is feeling the impact of the pandemic, but it's churches with strong, decisive, effective leadership that are coming through it. And uh, so I want to pay tribute to you, Sam, for the uh, leadership that you and the team have given, are giving. Uh, it's great to come back and just sense the health and the, uh, and the vitality that exists here at Northside. Such a blessing. Friends, I want to bring a reading before the message. It's from Mark's Gospel. It's chapter 10, and it's in two parts. Firstly, from verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said. There is something we want you to do for us. What is it? Jesus asked. They answered, when you sit on your throne in your glorious kingdom, we want you to let us sit with you, one on your right, one on your left. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup of suffering that I must drink? Can you be baptized in the way I must be baptized? And then we pick it up over in verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus was leaving with his disciples and a large crowd also, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, take pity on me. Many of the people scolded him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted even more loudly, son of David, take pity on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. They called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Get up, he's calling you. He threw off his coat, off his cloak, jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. Teacher, the blind man answered. I want to see again. Go, Jesus told him. Your faith has made you well. At once he was able to see and he followed Jesus on the road. Friends, the uh, title of my message this morning is Jesus Christ at your service. And uh, the reason for that will become obvious once we get into the message. But I'm basically asking a question this morning. And it's a question that I think trips a lot of people up, both those who've embraced the faith and those who are still considering the claims of Jesus. And the question is this, is following Jesus about having him at our service or being heavily invested in his service? And there's quite a marked difference. That's what we're going to explore this morning. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to present your word in a country where we know freedom. Being able to present your word in a country where we know freedom. Where there are no inhibitions to us meeting like this. And our thoughts and our prayers go to Christians all around the world today who won't have such a privilege uh, minister in a powerful way wherever the gospel goes forth today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, when I uh, approach an airport, I can sort of sense the, the anxiety building a little bit. No, I'm not afraid of flying. I love flying. Uh, no, I'm not worried about the uh, procedures involved these days with uh, check-in. Uh, I've already done that uh, at home. On my, it's in my wallet. Um, on my smartphone, I know, amazing. Um, 
But what gets me a little bit anxious is this thing that was introduced a couple of years ago, self-check-in of luggage. Is there anybody, you young ones, no problems, but anybody in my age range that finds that a real struggle? When I'm with Bev, no problem. She knows this very good. But I always get the tag mixed up and I don't sort of put it around the right way. And I kind of, I go into the, the confused old man phase, you know, sort of, oh, which I might add is becoming increasingly easy to uh, act out. Uh, I can give a Logie winning performance in that one. And then eventually, finally, a voice either from behind or from the side, comes up and says, can I help you, sir? It's like the hallelujah chorus on Easter Sunday. It's beautiful. And uh, so then this confused old man has a a young lady who does it for me and uh, takes me over to the... It's beautiful. Guys, look, and by the way, how how far are they going to take this this self-service thing with with flying? I mean, are we going to start serving our own meals? Um, Are they going to give us a crack at taking off and landing. Um, that's just my thing. I, I like the old ways, going up to the counter. Look, there are certain words most of us love to hear. And they're words like, what can I do for you? Um, how can I help you? What do you need? You know, If you're in a, a spot of bother, we, we love to hear these words. You might be uh, at a self-service checkout at a supermarket. Again, my age, I find that a little, a little daunting great when my grandkids are with me, they know all about it. Um, or you go to a parking station you haven't been to before and the machine's a bit different and it's just, and somebody who uses it all the time comes up and says, can I help you? Uh, or you've got a problem with your mower or some other domestic appliance and your next door neighbour is an absolute wizard and all that kind of thing and uh, he or she comes across and says, can I help you? We love to hear those, those words and look, when we apply this to Jesus, Here's a Jesus that even non-Christians can believe in. They love this kind of Jesus. The Jesus who says, how can I help you? You got a money problem? Hey, how can I help you? You want to get that promotion you don't probably really deserve? How can I help you? You want to pass that exam that you didn't really study for? How can I help you? And I mean, this is sort of a cross between Santa Claus and Superman. And it's a Jesus who's very, very easy to believe in. But as we move deeper into our relationship with him, we we kind of move or or we're supposed to move from that naive, simplistic, what can I do for you, Jesus, to a Jesus who is still lavish in his grace and in his love, but who doesn't always give us what we want. That's not heretical. That's just life. That's how it is. He still asks, what can I do for you? But how we interpret that question how we perceive the meaning of that question is a very clear indicator of the maturity of our faith and the depth of our relationship with Jesus. That's at the, at the heart of my message this morning. And guys, this movement toward maturity in Christ is, I believe, graphically illustrated here in Mark's Gospel as we see two contrasting circumstances. They're very different, but there's a very pronounced Linkage. You see, in the 10th chapter of Mark, Jesus asks, what can I do for you? Not once, but twice. The first one is the disciples. We've just read it. These two guys come alongside. Lord, uh, we know we're pretty special for you. We, we know that. We'd like to, uh, when you come into your kingdom, we'd like to be you know, one on this side, one on that side. You know. 
And this was an embarrassment to the early church, so the commentators tell us. It highlighted the vulnerability and the humanity of these disciples. I mean, this is a natural human tendency, want to be top of the tree. And it flies in the face, flies in the face of everything Jesus said about humility and about self-sacrifice. It was so controversial, so embarrassing for the early church that in Matthew's version of this story, which Matthew's gospel written 10, 15 years later, mum gets the blame. (laughs) Let me remind you, Matthew 20, verses 20 and 21, then the wife of Zebedee came to Jesus with her two sons, bowed before him and asked him for a favor. What do you want me to do? Jesus asked. Promise me these two sons of mine will sit at your right hand and your left when you are king. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. This was the the soccer parent or the parent of any child sport. Come on, coach, you're you're spreading the captaincy around a little bit. Have you seen my kid? When are they going to get a crack? I mean, this is a, a natural human tendency at all levels, sport, business, in all kinds of areas. So in both the Matthew and Mark versions, Jesus asks, what can I do for you? And they tell him, and they get the same response. You don't know what you're asking. And then he asks a question of his own. Can you think, or rather, can you drink? Can you drink the cup of suffering? And in a moment of supreme self-confidence, these disciples answer, yeah, we can. And I can imagine Jesus just sort of like, shaking his head in bewilderment at their ignorance, their lack of understanding of exactly what he was asking them. And then Jesus goes on to tell these guys in 39 and 40 that he doesn't have the power to grant this wish anyway. It's only, it's the prerogative of his heavenly father. So it's a case of request denied. No. So here's a situation with a, what can I do for you? Jesus says a big fat no. I'm sorry. That's not possible. Now, friends, contrast this with the second time in Mark 10 when Jesus asks, what can I do for you? It involves, of course, Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, and uh, he's not looking for position or power or prestige. He's just so, so aware of his own need, his own inadequacy. And he comes to Jesus in that frame of mind. He's also aware of the healing power of Jesus. And unlike the disciples, this is no secret deal. Theirs was kind of like, you know, off the side, a little private thing. This guy is shouting and creating a huge fuss. And his fellow citizens in Jericho are saying, look, calm down, brother. You know, we don't want to embarrass Jesus. He's come as a visitor and here you are doing your usual thing, ranting and raving whenever a prophet comes through. He's prepared to shrug all that criticism off and... uh, and just persisting with his request of Jesus. And then for the second time within a few verses, Jesus asks this remarkable question, what do you want me to do for you? It must have stunned the bystanders. Probably stunned old Bartimaeus, if the truth be known. I mean, he was a blind man. The answer was obvious. What he wanted. Why did Jesus ask the question, if the answer was so obvious. Well, let's remember, this is part of a pattern in the ministry of Jesus. Frequently, as he encountered people, he had a question. 
Um, and the question was designed to test their readiness for what he was about to do. In some cases, to test their motivation. In some cases, to stretch their faith. In some cases, a combination of all three. It was part of his way of dealing with people. Look at the man at the Bethesda pool. He's a guy, Bethesda pool, and he's been there for 40 years. He's a cripple. He's desperately ill. And Jesus asks, do you want to get well? And my weird sense of humor has a disciple at that very point just taking a a drink of water. He goes, Lord, what do you mean? Do you want to get well? I mean, it's obvious. Of course, he's been there for so long. Of course, he wants to. But it was Jesus' way of testing his readiness for change. Brother, you're not going to be dependent on other people from now on. You are literally going to have to stand on your own two feet. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the implications of what I'm about to do? What about the lady who touched the hem of his garment? Who touched me? Jesus asked. He knew. He knew who touched him. But this woman who'd suffered in darkness behind the scenes for years, he needed to draw her out of the darkness into the light. It was part of his healing work in her life. The guys on the Emmaus Road, Jesus says, what are you talking about? He knew. But again, he needed to begin a conversation in which he was to lead them in the world's greatest Bible study to explain why he had come back from from death. And so in the case of Bartimaeus, I think it was an opportunity for Bartimaeus to state his faith in Jesus, to be a strong witness to those who had gathered, who were around him, a chance to demonstrate his intention to be a follower, not just a hanger-on. That was Bartimaeus' intention. The Bible says he, he followed Jesus on the road. And what's the outcome? Well, of course, he was healed. Guys, you see, the disciples could not see beyond their own personal wants and desires. Whereas Bartimaeus had his eyes opened to the breathtaking possibilities of following Jesus. What a contrast. I think many people, and I've been there myself, and I'm I'm there regularly, they see Jesus as a kind of spiritual roadside assistance. where Where you get in touch when you desperately need help, hoping he'll say, hey, how can I help you? I had a really embarrassing moment on uh, Thursday. I uh, had a little rental car I've got, and I, I, it, it, the battery ran flat in Macquarie Shopping Centre, right in the bowels of Macquarie. So when you ring up the uh, NRMA, it's no easy task to help uh, identify where your vehicle is. So we had to meet up at the bus depot, and uh, I said, look, I'm, I'm in a black jacket, an old guy. Uh, and uh, he said, well, I'm in an NRMA van. And our four went past. And I'm, hey, wrong ones. Uh, we finally got together. But I think a lot of people see Jesus as a kind of roadside assistance. Um, now, look, I'll grant you, this is the most popular form of Christianity. It really, and we all slip into it regularly. Jesus, get me out of this. I'm sorry I've marked up. I need you. And look, these prayers are valid. It, it's It's okay. It's okay to pray like that, but it drops way short of what Jesus intends for us in this special, beautiful, intimate relationship that he designs for each and every one of us. Yes, of course he's available through the Holy Spirit for guidance, for strength, for courage, for comfort. Of course, that's what being a Christian is all about. But there's a big difference between Jesus being at our service and us being heavily invested in his service. A big difference there. Virtually every temptation 
that Jesus suffered in the wilderness was designed to turn him into a, what can I do for you, Jesus? And Satan knew what the outcome of that would be. You think about the different temptations. What was the first one? Turn these stones into bread. Jesus, have you seen what people are, how they're suffering these days? Have you seen the cost of living? Have you seen the price of petrol? If you can give people tangible proof, living proof that you can provide any need, you'll be a hit man. They will love you. Second temptation. I can give you all the money, all the power in the world. It's yours. Once people know you've got that, access to that, and can just call that up whenever, they will love you. They will love you for that. What was the third temptation? Throw yourself down off the top of the temple. You're not going to get hurt. It'll be incredible. It'll be like a real stunt. And people love a bit of a bit of, a, a bit of stunt work. They love a, a dramatic expression of, of, of courage. And that, that you, you'll be so popular, Jesus. Uh, it'll be magical. They might write a song about you. You can do magic. You can have anything that you desire. Any America fans here today, Sam? Probably too, too, too young, maybe. <laughs> well, people will say, Jesus, if you can do all these things, hey, look, when I'm in a tough spot, I know you'll get me out of it, Jesus, because I've seen that. That's, Jesus, of course, chose another pathway. Jesus chose the pathway of suffering. He successfully resisted each one of those temptations because that would have turned him into a messiah a messiahship based on the quick fix the instant gratification and people would have had Jesus at their beck and call as some kind of superhero and he would have had plenty of hangers on but not many disciples I mean as it was Jesus during his ministry was always being bugged for signs you check John 6 after he'd fed the 5,000 and then he beautifully segues into a discussion about himself as the bread of life. And the, the crowd says, oh, that's, 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 that's hard. We don't get that. Uh, can you show us a sign that kind of proves what you are and, and what you're on about? He'd already fed the 5,000. And so people's desire for signs, for proof, is just, it's just ongoing. And, and Satan knew that. Well, Bartimaeus comes through as a great example of a true disciple, not just a hanger-on. The Bible says in verse 53, he followed Jesus on the road. He committed himself to the cause of Christ. Guys, in this 10th chapter of Mark's Gospel, uh, I believe it provides powerful evidence of the difference, the big difference between those who see Jesus purely as one who should be able to satisfy every whim, every prayer, every desire, and those who, who see him as the one who can open their eyes, who can open their eyes to reveal the truth about God, about ourselves, and about life itself. I love the earnest prayer request made by Bartimaeus all those years ago. It, it really is the prayer which every disciple should be praying. Here it is. Let me refresh your memory. Lord, I want to see. And when we take this just out of just physical sight, what are the other things we need to see as people and the things that Jesus can help us see? He can help us see the difference that he can make. He can help us see the possibilities available in living a life devoted to him. 
He can help us to navigate the pain and the suffering of life, which inevitably happens. It's life for Christian and non-Christian. He can help us to stop praying, Lord, give me an easy life, and start praying, Lord, help me to be a strong person. He can help us to see that not every problem in life can be solved, no matter how hard you pray. But in his strength, and this is my testimony, every problem can be managed. There's always a way in his strength to navigate our way through even the toughest of circumstances. I want to be able to believe in a Jesus who says, I will never leave you or forsake you, no matter how tough the circumstances become. I will always be there with you. I will always be your source of strength and guidance, even though the going will get really tough at times. Hey guys, how's your spiritual eyesight at the moment? How's my my spiritual eyesight at the moment? Are we seeing what intimacy with God through Jesus can be like? I know I'm at my best. Over the years, I know this, I'm at my best when I see him not merely as someone at my service, but as someone myself as being invested in his service. That's when I'm at my best. What about you? I guess the bottom line is this. We move toward maturity in Christ when we stop constantly praying, Lord, give something to me, and start praying, Lord, give me to something. And in that act of surrender, in that investment of our time, our gifts, our resources, we truly do encounter the living Christ in all his fullness. And his, what can I do for you, is still there. But in that setting, it's about empowerment. It's about courage. It's about a readiness to do his will. Why do I love coming back to Northside? Because as I mentioned in the interview, this this place holds so many wonderful memories for me. Just over 20 years ago, this congregation, as a unit, basically said, Lord, give us to something. Something bigger than ourselves. Something that will test us and stretch us in every way. Something which for the most for the most of the process, we didn't know any more than just a few days ahead. I remember meeting in, in one of the uh, meeting rooms back in the, um, the St. Leonard's warehouse when we would pray, Lord, if you don't show up for this next step, it's not going to happen. We're out of clues. We, we don't know what the next step's going to be. And the number of times that he did show up, always providing what we needed, not necessarily providing what we wanted, but always providing what we needed. And as I said a moment ago, I don't think any of us involved in that process will ever forget the lessons we learned in those areas, faith, trust, patience, generosity. It was just extraordinary. That's an example as a whole congregation. You here at Northside have an example in terms of a couple, Shannon and Brendan up in Madagascar. Two doctors who could be back here securing their financial future and they've chosen to give themselves to something to advance the cause of Christ now not not everybody's called to do that to do something that dramatic but guys we are all called to move from the Lord give something to me to the point of Lord give me to something that's what makes any church great when there's a significant number in the congregation who've who've grasped that spiritual reality I know many of you have grasped it already. It's why Northside such a great church. My prayer would be that we all grasp that as we advance the cause of Christ here 
on the lower North Shore and in the wider region of Australia and the world. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Well, Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being part of your great cause in the world, bringing people to an understanding of the difference that Jesus Christ can make. Lord, forgive us when we reduce Christianity to a series of please, Lord, this and please, Lord, that and give me this and give me that. Lord, we're all guilty of it. Help us to rather move to a point where we're praying with faith and with courage. Lord, give me to something. Give me to this great cause of yours so that many more people can can experience the fullness of life available through Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.